everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Conversation of Our Generation. My name is Nick Jamel, and I'm the creator of The Conversation of Our Generation. Sorry. And today we'll be talking about how to talk about tragedy. Uh, in light of what transpired over the last few days, I just wanted to talk about uh, the, I mean, the tragedy that this is and and the response that we're seeing. Because I think that what we're seeing what we see every time after something as horrible as what happened in uh, in El Paso and in Dayton, it's it's this. There's this backlash and there's this anger and vitriol, and you know, people are right to be angry at what happened. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's not an improper response by any means, but I do want to talk about the responses that people have that use this as a weapon while the bodies are still warm because I think that that's a disgusting thing to do and I think that it's just wrong for the families. But before I get too far into it, I do want to remind you that you can find me on conversationforgeneration.com if you're listening elsewhere. If you are on the website, you can go to iTunes and subscribe to the uh, to the podcast there on Conversation for Our Generation or you can uh, go to <clears throat> Facebook.com slash Conversation for Our Generation or Twitter at Con of Our Gen and give me a follow there and check out you know some of the stuff that I have going on uh, there as well. You'll be able to interact a little bit more. It's me who runs those accounts. So um, if you want to talk to me, give me your feedback quickly, that's a good place. Or you can go to the contact form on the blog as well and that would you can contact me there and I can uh, respond there as well. So before we hop too far back into this, I do want to go into the quote of the week because I think it sums up really the uh, idea that I had to talk about today. And it's from, uh, I forget still how to say his name, Ellie Weasel. I don't know if it's Eli or Ellie. And it's every single time I do this. <laughs> uh, but he says, sometimes I'm asked if I know the response to Auschwitz. I answer that not only do I not know it, but that I don't even know if a tragedy of this magnitude has a response. And I think that obviously these shootings are nowhere near on par with the Holocaust by any means or what happened at Auschwitz. I mean, that's just a whole new level. But there's an obvious... Uh, problem here in the senseless nature of this uh, these attacks you know the one in El Paso the person was motivated he had a manifesto of some sort I don't even know either person's name who committed these I know some of the details but I didn't even bother to figure out the names because I figured I don't need to know and so the person in El Paso though did have a manifesto of sorts and so was motivated by something, but it's still so senseless. You know, it's the same as that, you know, uh, I mean, Hitler was motivated by something. But when you look at it, it with reality, without this ideology, this crazy ideology, you do see that it's a senseless, horrible, horrible thing. And there's really no reason for it. There's no response to that. I don't think, at least not any retributive response that you can do that would be appropriate. I think the only thing you can 
do in these situations is to remember what happened, to mourn, and to recognize, you know, the evil that can, you know, lie in men's hearts, in the hearts of every person that you know. There's an evil that's there that can become manifest, and there's a sense of malevolence and hatred and just pure vitriol that can come out of anybody, and we, none of us are incapable of doing, doing horrific things, and so I think that remembering that is, you know, that's what um, Solzhenitsyn, Solzhenitsyn takes out of the gulags and the USSR was basically that, that evil or that line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man is what he says. And to take that away and to remember what people are capable of every time something like this happens, I think is the best thing that we can do is to remember that and to know that and to know that it's not any sort of tool that the person uses. It's not any sort of ideology that they cling to. It's none of that stuff that really is the point of these. It's that anyone can become this disturbed. Anyone can have this sort of malevolent reaction to the world or to, you know, the one person in Dayton, their sister, I think, and boy, her boyfriend or something. And whatever it is, you, anyone can have that malevolent reaction to the world or to the situation they're in. And everyone is capable of what we saw over the last few days. And to put ourselves too far above these things is, well, I mean, it's just, I think a bit, uh, it's inauthentic, it's, it's not truthful, and it's not truthful to ourselves to say that, because, you know, every person knows and can hear what's going on in their heart and going on, you know, that other people don't see, and you know that you have anger and hatred and something towards people around you here and there, and to just put yourself so far removed and to think that you can solve this problem with some policy or with whatever it is, is at least this isn't the time to talk about that. This is the time to allow people to mourn and allow people to, you know, investigate what happened so that they can get that out of the way and people can bury their relatives and their friends and their family. You know, that's what this is. That's what we should be doing in the wake of these things, because I'd like to talk a little bit about this reaction that people have had and uh, what's going on, I think, in the news media, because I think this is something that we see time and time again. I mean, we see it in shootings, obviously, because there's a there's an easy, easy um, target for in politics, because one side of the aisle is pro-gun and one side of the aisle is basically against guns. And so this is an easy uh, tool for just going at uh, 
political opponents is what it is. But there's other tragedies as well that have happened um, that have been used in the same way. I mean, if you look at Katrina and you look at um, the hurricane in Puerto Rico, those were used in a lot of the same way where they were used as a political club rather than, you know, a time to come together and to help people that, you know, to help our fellow man, to help our fellow Americans, or to help those in Puerto Rico. I'm not sure if they're technically Americans or not. I think they might have citizenship of some sort, but I'm actually not 100% sure on that now that I say it. And to not, like, because especially those two, especially Puerto Rico, you know, there was every effort made by the federal government to go and help them, but roads were blocked off and this... Uh, and the governor or the mayor of San Juan, I think, um, was basically blocking aid from coming in from FEMA in order to have a political stance. Um, you know, there's a lot of, and, and did so by, and, and did so despite the fact that the people that they governed were suffering and dying, they blocked aid in order to make a political hit on someone. And I think that that's just, I mean, anyone who thinks that that is at all acceptable, I don't know how to talk to you about that. But to take a tragedy and to use it as a political weapon, I think is just a a blatant disrespect for the families. But it's also, I think, indicative of something deeper. And I think what we miss here is that the bodies of the dead that we have in these situations are not just a body. You know, there, there was a person in there not long ago. There was a mother or father or sister, brother, you know, someone who goes to school, has hopes and aspirations, is just like you or me. And they were alive and breathing. They were a full person, body and soul, and they had their life taken from them, you know, and to treat their, I think that the treatment of the body as a political tool shows the disrespect for personhood, for the, uh, for the soul that lives on, for the fact that people and humans are this body soul composite that to disrespect the body of someone after they've passed on, we know that that's wrong. I mean, we know that it's wrong to, you know, mess with cadavers or whatever, or, you know, we have a sense of that, that, you know, I mean, like the, if you look at criminal minds, the sickest serial killers are the ones who, you know, do something to the body after it's, you know, dead in some way, chopping it up or doing something to, uh, to further mutilate the body and without, you know, and those are a lot of times the sickest people on those shows because that's an extra disregard for, you know, for that person, for that, for that victim that they had. And I think that when we stand on the bodies of victims and demagogue and place blame, we are not only, you know, 
immoral for using seizing on a tragedy to and for being you know in the face of this family these families who are probably trying to mourn their loss they're probably getting interviewed by reporters because of this and being pestered that's all wrong but it's also wrong on a deeper level because it it ignores the value of human life and the value that it carries beyond death as well and that i think is indicative of something deeper that has infected our culture that has uh really become common in i would say all over the place but especially in a the mainstream well not mainstream but the well the mainstream media that radical left side just has a complete disregard for what human life is and you know with euthanasia with abortion with uh assisted suicide and all these things there's an obvious uh sense that we aren't uh we really aren't persons we aren't individual persons unless it's, you know, in favor of a certain right that we want, then we're an individual and we have rights. But when it comes to life, the most basic right that we have is a right to life, the right to not have our life taken from us by someone else. And when it comes to that, this there's just this separation that's done between I mean, there's this ignoring of personhood, of, you know, vitality, of the soul, of something deeper and more meaningful to life than just being a sack of meat. And I think that that's the worst thing that I see in these is when we use a body count to push legislation, not recognizing the fact that, you know, those are people, those aren't just uh, some prop from a movie or something like that. That's a real human being who had, who had something more to live for something to, you know, dreams and hopes and aspirations and a family and friends and a life and a job and all of these things, aches and pains and troubles and problems and everything that there is to be human that, that, that victim had all of those. And so I know that this demagoguing in this is, you know, all of that is tempting. It's tempting to, you know, talk about all the gory details and everything to keep people interested in your program. Fine. You know, if that's what you want to do. I think that it's, I mean, people, I can't stop you from doing it, but I think that we should have some respect for the dead and for their families and really allow them to mourn and allow them, because I know that if something happened here where I live and I had a family member, you know, if I lost a family member or they were hurt severely, you know, they're in the hospital and Anderson Cooper or someone from CNN or whatever, some news network was here demagoguing. And I know that I just lost someone or that someone is 
you know, really, really badly hurt that I love, it would take everything in my power to not just go and deck them on air because it's, it, you know, or just, you know, destroy the camera and, you know, whatever it is, because that to me is just the biggest disrespect to that person. And it's, and in, by disrespecting the victim, you're disrespecting their family. You're disrespecting their ability to, by in, interfering with their ability to mourn or interfering with their ability to, you know, figure out how to help their family, how to, you know, what they need to do to focus on, you know, ensuring they have a good recovery or that they can make it through a critical period, whatever it is. And so, to me, the best thing we can do in response is to pray for the families, to pray for these victims and their families, and to continue to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to just, I don't know, give them everything that they need to get through this horrible, horrible, horrible tragedy. Um... And allow people to mourn in peace and quiet. I mean, the the media frenzy that comes, I mean, we see the 24-hour news coverage. I was talking to someone this week about what it takes to cover the, you know, the golf tournaments. He has to go there a week in advance and lay 45 miles of cable, he told me, to cover, you know, golf tournaments. Imagine what it's like when you have seven, eight major news networks in one city, I mean, Dayton, Ohio is not a big city, seven or eight major news networks there looking at these areas, that's just, I mean, that's like a freaking carnival, seriously, it's like a, I mean, the state fair is going on in Indianapolis, that probably disrupts my day less than having all seven or eight major networks, whatever, in the same place at the same time covering this, what does that do to that city, to that area? to that, to the families, to the friends, the friends of friends who, you know, my, you know, whose friend's cousin was the one that was shot, whatever it was. What does that do to those people? You know, to have a constant reminder that they already probably don't need because it's still fresh that this horrible tragedy happened to see those things just everywhere you go to see a news van because of what happened to your family member, your friend, whatever. I I think that to allow people to mourn in peace and quiet, to not bother them, to not ask them for their political opinions on gun ownership or mental health or whatever while they're trying to mourn. I mean, because not only should you not be asking them just in general, you shouldn't be asking them because... I mean, I wouldn't want to go on the record with what I believe right after that in, in front of, you know, for all the world to see, because that's going to be clipped and put on YouTube and it'll be shown on TV and people can record. I mean, it'll be everywhere. And so I don't want to go on record right after someone that I love, you know, I, I lose someone that I love and say what I think about policy. That's the last thing that anyone probably wants to do. And so I think that we need to keep that in mind when we see these interviews and we see this going on that, you know, 
I never have a animus towards the people who lost a son and are angry about something that's going on and going on TV to say what they think. I don't have, I, I, I wouldn't do that, but I don't have an anger towards them. My anger is directed at the people who push and prod and make these and elevate these people into some sort of uh, thought leader on policy when they're truly just a victim of a crime. And, and I don't think that that gives, I think that that is obvious then that they're just holding this person up as, you know, like a carny barker, you know, showing off the bearded lady, like, hey, look what I can do. I can prove my point through this person, or I can prove something through this person. They're not truly interested in what the victim has to say. They're just interested in pushing their political agenda, and they're continuing to use someone. They've already used this person's dead relative as, you know, a political weapon. Now, they're going to continue to use this person as a political weapon, their hurt and their anger and their, you know, mourning and their grieving, and they're going to take that and use it to punch the other side of the political aisle. That's just disgusting. And I think that these tragedies, like Eli Weasel said, you know, they don't have the proper response, really. And you, at least not always, Sometimes you may find that. Sometimes you might find a right, the right response that you can put out there and say, this could help prevent this from happening in the future. This could help solve this, you know. But if there is a proper response, it's not going to be found in an emotionally, in char- an emotionally charged environment like what we have. You have to kind of let the dust settle and see clearly and to really look at the facts of what happened, look at what led to this happening, and then you can make, uh, then you can make a determination about what to do from there. But the problem is, we don't want to do that. We want to use this as a political tool while it's fresh, instead of waiting till it becomes, you know, a stale story or anything like that. And so, I think that That's just not the way to approach it. It's it's to really, I mean, to me, the best way to analyze something is to be detached from it. Just think about when someone comes to you with a problem and you give them advice. The reason why you're able to see the solution so often is because you're not in the thick of it. When you're in the thick of something, it's hard to see correctly because you're emotional. You're not thinking straight. You're, you know... If you're drowning in a, in water, then you kind of need someone else to grab your hand and show you which way's up, because it gets confusing when you're going under and coming back up and all that. You sometimes you're swimming down, but you think you're swimming up, and you know I think that that's how we are when we're in these emotional situations. We we really can't see clearly. We we do swim down when we should be swimming up. And, and think we're swimming up as well. Um, and so the last thing that I want to talk about here is for those people who are going to be out there 
using this as a political club, how to talk to them in a way that, um, in a sensible way, but also in a way that I think doesn't allow them to continue using these people as pawns. And so I think the best way to go about doing that is to, first of all, acknowledge the tragedy of what happened and to say that, you know, I, I'm just as angry about this as you are. I'm just as frustrated with the world we live in. I'm, I don't condone violence. I don't condone what happened here. And I want to find a way to make this go away as well. And I think that that's, I mean, I, if you can't get on board with that sentiment, then there's something wrong there. So to tell people that and to say, that's where I'm coming from for starters. And so, but to say also that this isn't the time to talk about these issues or to to necessarily use these people as pawns to talk about these issues. Instead, I think that we should have this discussion in a less uh, emotionally charged time, you know, give it some time to, you know, not have, not be so fresh, not be such a fresh wound and be able to talk about this without pointing to them and maligning motives of either side uh, in doing so. Because I think that both, you know, the left obviously wants to take guns and the right wants to put guns in teachers' hands and they both kind of malign each other on the, when they want to push forward their policy. And so I think that that's always wrong. And I think that whoever does it is in the wrong. And so there is, there is a sense that on both sides, people do use this tragedy to their advantage. I think that it's more in the news media and what they do more so them than even like politicians, but the politicians do use these, uh, tragedies to, for political gain. But for the people that are around you, I think that by just saying, I want to find a solution to this, I don't want this to happen, you know, maybe here's kind of what I think about, you know, the gun issue, but I see this as, you know, you can kind of talk about it, but, you know, to just say that all I know is I'm going to be praying for these victims and their families and I'm going to be praying for our world that people like this change before these these kinds of things happen that I'm going to be praying for peace and for and doing so and living a life that represents what I believe and that you know, the only thing that I can control is that, that, that I ignore the malevolence in my heart that I, or not ignore, that I overcome any malevolence or hatred or anger or vitriol in my own heart so that I don't add to this problem so that I don't stoke the fires, sorry, stoke the fires that burn in other people's hearts to do these things that I don't fan the flames of attention towards these people and, you know, encourage others to go out and do the same, right? 
because that's where a lot of this comes from. And so to say that, look, I'm not paying this attention. I'm privately praying about this and privately working on my own heart to make sure that I am a good person and that I can do everything I can to make those around me better people. And that's all that I can do. And that's all that I can do to impact this situation, I think is a fair response. And to say that, you know, that fanning the flames, that giving this attention uh, to these shooters, to whatever it is, is not helpful. And so, I mean, that's why this whole time, pretty much, I've talked about the victims. I mean, I gave a little bit of background on this, but you all know the stories, so I don't need to talk about that. But I talk about the victims because that's what we should be talking about, is how do we treat these people with the respect that they deserve? And I think that if you can talk to those around you who are... Uh, who are dishonest or who are using this as a chance to strike up this debate for whatever reason and work or, you know, your friends or whatever it is, I think that it's, uh, it's just the best response to say, Hey, kind of what I just said. And just tell people that I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to try to help those around me be better. And I'm not going to give this person any extra attention. And in doing all of those things, I think I'm doing everything I can to minimize the likelihood of another one. Uh, and if people can't accept that, then that's on them. So thank you today for listening to another episode of The Conversation of Our Generation. I'm cutting this one a little bit shorter because, well, I think I've exhausted this topic and it's a tough thing to talk about. And, uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, and so I just, I don't want to go on and on and get angry about what's happening. I'd want to continue to just keep this somber and allow people to be mournful. And I can feel my blood boiling when I talk about some of the things that I've had to talk about today. So I'm going to go ahead and sign off here and just say thank you for listening to this episode of The Conversation for Generation. If there's anyone out there that you think needs to hear this, you can share this to them, with them. Uh, go to conversationforgeneration.com and you can find it there. You can go to uh, iTunes and send them the link to the podcast there by just searching Conversation for Our Generation. Or you can go to facebook.com slash conversation for our generation or Twitter at con of our gen. And any of those places you can go to find out, uh, find more of my stuff and to share this with those who you think are out there that need to hear it. So thank you again for listening to this episode of the Conversation for Generation. Let's get the dialogue going. I'll talk to you next week.